All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out that company, visit www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. Co-hosts today are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to know more about that, check out muskymayhemtackle.com. Super exciting day today. We finally have a guest. We haven't had a guest in two weeks, partially because Brad and I suck and Carrie's too busy in the shop because all Brad does is fish. She wasn't going to help us line up guests because she's trying to hold down the fort. So it was on our shoulders and clearly we failed. But we're back with a vengeance today. So we got a guest, Luke Swanson, living the dream guide service. And he does some fishing in Minnesota, some lakes, rivers. We're going to learn a little bit more a little bit more about that. But other than that, I'm excited to have the uh, both hoppies back today. Brad and yeah. Carrie. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great, Jeff. We uh, just got done with the 4th of July weekend and ready to do a podcast. Exciting. And Carrie, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you on a podcast in, I can't even remember how long. It feels like forever. I'm super excited to have you back. Unfortunately, Jeff, she just walked away for a second. (laughs) Typical. (laughs) That's typical. I mean, what the heck? We're mid-recording and she's got to go out and probably check on dinner or something, right? I mean, because it's... It's let's see. It's only eight fifty two right now. So I mean, I'm sure the hoppies are eating dinner. Uh we've had dinner, but we are cooking another roast on the smoker right now. Nice. That's what you call living the dream, not the living the dream guide service. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it's never ending here. I can tell you that we've got a bunch of company here. We're just having a good time. Yes, you guys have company all the time, all summer long. To the point where I don't know if I could handle it, that's how much company you have. It's like you're entertaining every single day of the summer. Well, there's a couple of rules when you come to our place. If you've been here more than five minutes, you're kind of on your own. So <laughs> help yourself, right? It is true. I mean, I've been that way. I've been down there a few times. It's all good. We love it, actually. So we have a bunch of fun, um, a bunch of fishing, and it's always good. So I can't complain at all. Well, since we have a couple seconds before we make a phone call, I guess maybe first off we should do is just talk a little bit about each company because we we do that once in a while, and then we'll talk a little bit of, uh, you know, fishing and 4th of July, and then we'll get a guest. So, Brad, if Carrie isn't back yet, why don't you talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Yeah, you can check us out on the web, um, muskiemayhemtackle.com. And also you can take a look at us both on Instagram and Facebook. And I always tell everybody, you know, we need to see some pictures from some of the listeners out there. Love to have them, love to share them with everybody. So shoot us uh, some emails with some pictures, different fish you've caught on our products. We'd love to have them. Also our YouTube channel. We are in the middle of filming for that. We do have the first episode uh, pretty much put together that we probably won't release till this winter, but at least it's in the can, put it that way. So YouTube channel, it's out there. Definitely take a look at that. You can subscribe. And once you subscribe, you'll be notified when our next video hits. And you're listening to Backlash Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, just to name a few. You can find us socially on Instagram and Facebook. And if you'd like, you can email us, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, 
our messenger has been a little bit behind. Email responses have been a little bit behind. That's pretty typical, mostly because I was off this past weekend and I know Brad's been busy and Carrie's been busy. So if you sent us an email or a message and we haven't responded to you yet, we certainly intend to, and we will eventually circle back to that. Unfortunately, I've, I've mentioned before, this is kind of just a little side project that we do that doesn't really help pay any bills. It's just more of a us giving back to the Muskie community or taking away from it, depending upon how you want to look at it. I mean, if the episode sucks, then that's kind of how that goes. Anyways, if you listen on iTunes, consider giving us a rating and review as it helps people understand that what we do here is maybe legitimate. I don't know. And if we're not that great, then just tell us we're not that great. I mean, it's a possibility. We're just throwing stuff against the wall here. Team Rhino Outdoors, you can check that out. As I said earlier, TeamRhinoOutdoors.com, and we are a retailer that specializes in custom musky gear. So we have custom cowgirls, bulldogs, medusas, phantom lures, I mean, drifter tackle, on and on and on. Tons of custom colors, tons of custom stuff, small bait makers, big bait makers. We pretty much carry it all. If you need it, we probably have it, except for a reel and some hooks. It's about the only things we're missing out on. And uh, other than that, let's uh, let's talk fishing for a little while. Enough about either of the companies. Oh, by the way, for Team Rhino Outdoors, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and at TRO Fishing on Twitter. And we have a YouTube channel in... Unlike Brad, we don't have our first episode together. I have one. I have a few things coming. They'll be actually coming pretty soon. I bet you we'll have one up this weekend, potentially. Uh, not a full-on episode where I actually go out fishing. i got to take a little more time to edit that. But anyways, the way the fishing season's going, it's not that great anyways. So hopefully Brad's having a lot better season than I am. Come on, Jeff. Don't be negative now. Jeff, I even caught a fish already this year. I've caught some. They're just not big. So, I mean, I've caught muskies. It's just, uh, they're small mostly. I'm thinking this, but the way the weather's playing out, this is probably going to be the longest it ever took me in, I would say, quite a few seasons of playing to put a 40 incher in the net because, quite honestly, at this point, I don't even know when the next time I'm going to go muskie fishing is. I actually went and farted around with worms and bobbers this past weekend for like a half an hour between. We went swimming for the day, and between fireworks on Saturday night, I got out the bobbers and the worms, and we tried to catch bluegills. Instead, I caught, caught little perch, so it was right up my alley, little fish. That's what I catch. Do you want, do you want me to send you some pictures so you, you can figure out how to do it, Jeff? Um, GPS coordinates is what I'm going to need. Pictures isn't going to help me. I can give you all kinds of GPS coordinates if you want to come over here. Uh, no, that's too far away. You guys live in the middle of nowhere, like literally in the middle of nowhere. No, there's plenty of stuff around here. Uh, we we spent actually quite a bit of time fishing gills this weekend because uh, there was so much boat traffic and the water temps, and it was so hot. The water temps are pretty high here, so we we elected to just fish gills this weekend. Probably a good uh, idea, I would say. Yeah, I have some. I have a few bump board pictures for you. Nice. You'll have to. Uh, you'll have to post them. I guess our listeners are into bluegills and whatnot. I would be more into muskies, but I typically like to give them a rest when the water temperatures get as warm as what they are. I'm not going to get and, into debates about water temperatures and mortality rates because that 
it's up to people that are way smarter than me. But for me personally, I just decided when the water temperatures reach about 80, then I'm pretty much done with them for a while. Yeah, that's the way it kind of goes around here too. We're at about 82 and a half, 83 right now. So it made bluegill fishing easy, even for the pros. You mean easy as in like it was an easy decision to switch to bluegills or it was the fishing was easy? Uh, a little both. Well, that's good. I was thinking maybe in this next weekend I was going to maybe have target bass. God, I don't. That's a terrible word. It's almost like a swear word, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I would go after the gills before bass. Would you? <laughs> For sure. Well, we, we had we had a group of people here, so we had a few wagers on on who could catch the most fish and the one day and and that kind of i don't want to say backfired on us but backfired on us because dave went and decided to go pick up a whole bunch of two inchers instead of actually fishing for big fish so he he his boat won that that wager and then the next day they beat us again they got the biggest fish but by a quarter inch yeah by a quarter inch but I spent way so. more time in the water than I did fishing, like tons of time in the water. Cause the water is, I mean, it's ridiculous when they say it's like bath water. They're right. It's ridiculous. Pretty much like a hot tub at this point. I can tell you this though. If you go down about four or five feet, it is way cooler. So there's that, but it's still not going to save them the, you know, musky season for right now. We're just going to put them on pause and. We'll just talk about what, what it was like when we used to get to go musky fishing instead. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> you know, hopefully some big wind and some rain will change that a little bit. Unfortunately, up in our part of the state, it's been really dry. We have had a couple little rain showers in the last couple of weeks, but it wasn't enough to really change the water temp by any means. We're in this huge little heat cycle right now, so it's making things tough for the water temps. Agreed. It's, it's honestly a weird deal. I mean, I think, let's see, it's, so it's Monday, this podcast will come out on Wednesday and we, I think for the, till like the 20th of July, the lowest I saw as a temperature for around here was like 83 degrees with like a stretch of like seven straight days where it's 89, which that's brutal. It sucks because I actually have time in about a week and a half to go musky fishing and I'm not going to go musky fishing. I'm going to probably have to go swimming again. I don't know. But, or we'll go bluegill fishing or bass fishing. We'll figure something out. Anyways, you guys, uh, anything new on the horizon there for musky mayhem tackle? We're always working on different things, Jeff. Um, Did you get it I'm figured out yet? Well, one of, one of the projects, put it that way. It's really close, and I really would like to introduce it here at the end of July. But we'll see where that goes. We got... You know, I've been on the water trolling pretty much. I, I kind of booked my trips for the month of June for trolling open water. And now I'm switching gears to casting as soon as uh, these water temps fall. So personally, I have not got to throw it on the water like some of the other people that I have it in their hands. And I'll, I'll just say this, it's working and it's working really well. So I just want to be the guy to test it some more before I say, all right, let's pull the trigger on this. Well, that's fantastic news for musky mayhem tackle fans. Something new coming. We need new stuff. Musky bait world has been, eh, it's been a little bit devoid of new stuff. There's been some newer stuff, but there hasn't been anything that's like crazy new, you know? 
yeah, it's kind of stagnant to say the least, but you know, we're going to hopefully change that with our business anyway. So we'll see where it goes here soon. We do have the rabbit girls coming this fall to sometime this summer too. We're just trying to get an inventory on them so that when uh, we let them go, we can actually maybe give you some more once you sell them again. Nice. Just remember, Tiaro needs an Oktoberfest rabbit girl. We have to have one. <laughs> <laughs> Does that color sell, Jeff? Not at all. No, it's terrible. How many were on my order recently? I don't know. A couple? Uh, there's a few again. <laughs> I, def- I definitely know I've seen notifications for people that want to know when we're going to have the Oktoberfest 10-9 combo back in stock. So leads me to believe that we're out of stock of it right now and that we must have some on our order. There was. I don't remember the exact number, but it should be shipping tomorrow. Well, Melissa put the order in, so I'm sure I'm sure it's higher than if I would have ordered. Let's just say that. Carrie knows that. <laughs> well, it sounds like if you're running out, that maybe it should have been bigger. I mean, maybe. I don't know. That's not my department. <laughs> I've been fired uh, from that. Well, that's not all bad. You got enough projects. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, I think maybe we should give uh, we should give Luke a call and talk actual musky fishing. Let's do it. All right, our guest tonight is Luke Swanson with Living the Dream Guide Service. Luke, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule and talk musky fishing with us. We really appreciate it. How's everything going tonight? Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Everything's going great up here. Uh, water temps have us a little bit down with hitting 80 degrees, but season's been really good before that. And took the day of doing a little bit of new rigging on the boat, spending the rest of the evening just hanging out. Well, at some point tonight, I hope we get to talk about that boat because we haven't talked jet boats on this uh, podcast in a while. And anybody that's listened for more than a couple episodes, although if you listened recently, I hadn't talked about jet boats recently, but I'm excited to talk jet boats. I'm excited to talk river fishing. But before we get into that, Luke, why don't you talk a little bit about you know, your guide service, kind of like what got you into musky fishing, just sort of the path to, uh, the path to, I guess, living the dream, so to speak. Why don't you go down that road with yeah. us? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, first musky fishing experience was with my dad and my grandpa. My cabin was up in Park Rapids and we went over to Detroit Lakes and we were sucker fishing with my grandpa and my dad and I was casting and I was getting tired at 12 years old. And so my dad told me to set down the rod and he'd cast and I took a sucker rod Well, the bobber went down and of course the 12 year old, I was so excited. I set the hook and luckily enough, I got hooked into that fish and landed it and it was a 47 inch fish. And from there on forward, that's all I wanted to chat about or talk about or try to chase for ever. And so that started everything of, you know, going into that and that same year I was just learning fly fishing with my grandpa. And so that led down the rabbit hole of musky fishing and musky fly fishing all in one of doing both gear fishing and fly fishing for them. And then it came to when I got a little bit older, my first major jump into the guide world was going up to Alaska and guiding on the Lagnac river, uh, full time up on a lodge up there. And so I did a full season of that and I absolutely loved what I was doing up there. Loved working with clients, loved being on the water. And I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do for a full time job. Uh, when I went up there and I came back knowing exactly what I wanted to do. So I stayed at the lodge and did all that for the whole summer, came back and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I took that money that I made up there and I started guiding around here. 
and, you know, started basically everywhere in the Midwest from Wisconsin rivers, Wisconsin lakes and the Hayward park falls area. And then all over Minnesota, upper Minnesota, Duluth, Bemidji area, you know, Brainerd, Monticello. And it's just all kind of adapted for everything. We do smallmouth in the spring and summer. And then as soon as muskie starts up, we do that all the way up to ice up. And at first it was just in Alaska, we were really fly fishing guiding up there. So I came back and wanted to do just full on. All I did was fly fishing and that changed super quick as I got back. You know, the fly fishing side of it is a arrow in my quiver of what we can do and an option for clients, but it's sometimes not the end all solution. And so, you know, we do trolling, we do sucker fishing, we do fly fishing, deer fishing, all that. And we do it on lakes, rivers, and we're based out of Brainerd, Minnesota. And we picked Brainerd just because it's got a crazy amount of different water up here. You got multiple different rivers with within a small drive. You got Malax right here. You're not far from the Leech Lake, Leech Lake area. You know, we got Alexander, Shamina, Gull Lake, Whitefish Chain. We just have so much water to fish up here for pike, muskie, smallmouth, everything like that in between. So uh, we're doing that full-time year-round in the off-season. We rent fish houses. We do one-on-one guided trips on snowmobiles out on Malax for walleyes, tanfish, all that. And then summertime, we're chasing smallmouth and muskies for the most part. So how has the season been for you, Luke? I mean, we're a month into this musky season. How did that look for you? It looked really good so far. Uh, the lakes were really good starting out, and the river, like the first week of, or so of the season was really good for us. And then those river fish kind of scattered and into their moving, into their summer phase stuff. Uh, we find a lot of these fish travel farther than most people think. And so, you know, you have to check wood, you got to fish sand, you got to fish rocks, you got to fish weeds that are coming up in the rivers. You got to fish everything in the river. So that was kind of sporadic. Um, and then the river fishing really picked up here in the last week and a half. And then the lakes were doing really, really well around us up until like the last, uh, five, six days, you know, we got that heat wave coming in and it, you know, they got hot and they got finicky in the lakes and the river stayed cool enough to keep fishing them, which is fantastic. That's moving, flowing water and just a little bit of rain we've gotten has kept it cold enough to keep fishing. So we still have great options to be able to be out fishing, especially in the heat. Oh, that's good news. Um, what are the river water temps right now? They're in the high 70s right now the last time we were on them. And each, what's interesting is each section is will change within five degrees. One section we found that was 84 degrees and another section that was 80, um, 72 degrees. And it just depends on the deep, slower sections, you know, and if you have 15 miles of super fast, you know, fast moving water, that's shallow, that can warm up quicker. You're going to have more warm water there compared to other stretches. So. It just depends on the stretch, and hopefully we can get some more rain. Our water levels are crazy low. This is the lowest it's been in five, six years at least. We've had some crazy high water years, which makes it tough for fishing at some times or really good at other times with high water. But this year, we have a whole nother beast of it warming up too much where we haven't had to worry about that in a lot of years. I hear you there, Luke. We uh, we really haven't had any real moisture to speak of, and you know you can even tell it that the accesses and what have you that the water levels are dropping pretty rapidly we have a pond here in our yard that we use for casting and checking out new baits and what have you and 
I bet it's dropped two and a half, three feet in the last month. So it's a little scary to think about this early. You know, and the other yeah. thing is, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I was talking to somebody else. I think it's maybe 06, 07 since we've seen it, you know, rise in temp this quick in most of our lakes. So it's kind of a unique year in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens the next few weeks and what happens all the way into September before the cool down. And if we can keep water temps at that low enough stage to keep fishing or if we're going to have to put a hold on some stuff and chase some other species too. Yeah, that's for sure. I know over the weekend we talked about it briefly before we, we made the phone call with you. We spent a bunch of time fishing bluegills over the weekend and uh, that's fun too. So it's all part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Knowing that you're you're this river rat, and I know it's killing Jeff, let's talk about your river rig. Absolutely. So I've switched rigs four years in a row now um, of trying to find what I look at as the perfect river rig. Um, and each year I run a rig and it's like, nope, this needs to change. And we just have been fine tuning it. I started with a drift boat with no motor on it and you had to row everywhere. And that just didn't make sense when you move a fish an hour before a moon phase and you can't come back to it because you have to make eight miles in so long and you're not going to be rowing back up river. So we got rid of that and I went to a 17 foot, uh, 52 inch wide, 60, 40 jet. And that ran really good. It was just a touch tippy for, you know, three people or even four people when we had big trips of um, just to get a little bit tippy in. And that was a true flat bottom boat. It fished really well, though, except for that little bit tippy aspect. And then I went to a River Pro, which was probably the nicest fishing boat uh, for the river, but it was also expensive, and we just couldn't find the right mechanics to work on the motor up here, and I had a little bit of motor problems and realized that wasn't going to work up here. And so I kind of went back to my second jet boat that I had and just modified it a little bit. And so now I've settled on a 1756 with a 60-40 Yamaha on the back. And it's a side console, so you still have that comfortable seat ride when you're driving up a river with clients, and then you got a big platform in back and in front, and fish is awesome. It's got great storage in it. We put some just-in-case boxes in there and set up exactly how we want so we can be at the right spot at the right time. And, you know, as each year I keep finding that fish are spot on the spot on the spot. They're not everywhere in eight miles. There's not eight miles of perfect river water where they're going to be every time. And so just like Lake, a whole shoreline is not going to be the same for a mile long. Neither is the river. So, you know, you got these rock piles or log jams. And when a light switch comes on, you better be hopping super quick to spot, spot, spot on your best spot in the river. And so that jet boat is able to get us places where, you know, a kayak or canoe or drift boat or anything like that isn't able to get you, or even a, you know, a big killer glass, you know, fiberglass boat isn't going to get you either, which is a lot of fun because it gets you into places nobody's fishing. And then you find some dumb, vulnerable fish at times too. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. My experience on those types of rivers is pretty limited. I'm, I've been blessed to be able to do it a few times with some really good fishermen, but you know, the uniqueness to that whole river aspect, is it's really cool. Um, it's a whole different way of thinking, a whole different way of fishing. What kind of water are you traveling? I mean, what what's the shallowest stuff you're going over, Luke? 
uh, shallow stuff. I mean, is like six inches. Well, I mean, there's sections where we're running in straight rapids that, you know, class two, class three rapids will run up and you're just running right up those and hoping you don't hit a rock. And there's always a line through those rapids. And after bumping and grinding the boat a little bit, you learn where, you know, the angles where you're going up those rivers. So you're going through that and you're going through 15 feet of water. It all changes depending on the season of the migration of the fish and where they're going to be setting up. Uh, depending on water flows and time of year. So, Luke, I know this yeah. year has been, it's been a bit busy on a lot of the lakes. I'm sure you've seen that. Have you seen the same increase in pressure on some of these rivers you're fishing? I've seen a lot more like kayaks and tubers and canoers, just, you know, people getting out and getting down the rivers. From the fishing aspect, it's more of that, you know, kayak and canoe stuff too, because it just takes a special boat to be able to get on the river of the jet boat. Uh, to get around and especially this time this year you know with the low water so we're still seeing a lot of people show up a lot of people getting out campgrounds are full and people are camping where you know you can off the side of the river and do camping trips which is cool to see people getting out people being on the water so brad knows my my love and a lot of listeners know my love for jet boats and talking about jet boats if somebody's looking to get into one of these boats i mean what's something what's something that they should look at not everybody's going to probably buy a new one every year. They're probably going to look for something, I'd say maybe mid-range that's affordable. If you're you know new to this, like what would be the minimum requirements that you're going to need to you know take some of these trips as far as motor goes, size of the boat, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. So like the smallest size I would really go is like a 16-foot jet. You can find one like a 16-foot with a 48 width um, with a 50-30 on it or a 60-40 and you can get that under 8 grand for sure. There's a lot of those jet boats that are 5 to 10 grand that are used. Um, the Midwest is just really not the place to get it. We don't have enough rivers up here. You know, you'll see one every now and then for sale but down in like Missouri and Arkansas and a little bit in Texas you know, those guys down there aren't running the deep deep rangers like we are up here. They got all the rivers and reservoirs so if you take a 10 hour drive or, you know, if you're in the Midwest, it's 10, 12 hours to get down there and pick it up. You know, there's a lot of boats. If you start looking down there that you can find and bring it up. And that's where I've gotten all my boats from. I always drove down there and they've always set it up right. They run them all the time down there. So, you know, that's a great starter boat, you know, for two people, a 16 foot, you can fish three out of it. It's just a little bit tippy and the wider boat you get, you know, the more stable it's going to be, especially with aluminum. And if you want, you know, a queen perfect boat, you know, that 1756 or an 1860 is going to be a great boat that you can fit multiple people in, a lot of storage, super comfortable, fast, you know, getting up and down the river. Those are great boats, but you can find plenty of inexpensive, inexpensive John boats, you know, that you can put a jet on the back of and run up and down these rivers or creeks or, you know, any of this backwater that you guys can fish. So most of these rivers that you're fishing, I mean, how what's the average width on them? Are you fishing really big rivers? Or are you kind of jumping from system to system? Uh, so a little bit of everything. You know, the upper Mississippi here is, you know, it can be 100 yards wide or it can be a couple hundred yards wide. And then, you know, you, like I've done a lot over in Wisconsin where, you know, it's two boat lengths in some spots that across, you know, only 20 feet. And so everything, you know, you can run through anything up there of having a jet like that. So it depends on the time of year of, you know, what we're fishing, water levels, 
you know, those really small areas and super skinny water. Well, we're down, you know, six feet right now that you just can't even get through that water right now because it's just trickling through that water. So you got to go into a little bit deeper sections sometimes. With you talking about high water, low water, let's talk low water. Is it easier to find muskies right now with, with the lower water or is it, I mean, or for you, would you prefer the water to be a little bit higher? Uh, so I like the water to be higher just in the point of it doesn't bust my gear up as much. You're not bumping rocks with the boat. You're not hitting the transducer. You're not hitting your motor. You know, one of the motor repairs I had tonight was, you know, cleaning up my foot because I bumped a rock two days ago and it, you know, chipped my foot off a little bit. So I had to grind that down. And, you know, a lot of guys don't like high water because it's high and dirty. And I actually like high water because it puts those fish in the very specific places, just as super low water would, where low water, it condenses those fish in a certain areas because they can't go anywhere. Instead of, you know, there's a happy in between of high water and low water where fish can be anywhere, which is good and bad. You can cover a lot of water and a lot of water looks good. The low water puts them into specific places just as high water does. And so they're both fun. They both have super different bikes, you know, and that high dirty water, you're running a lot bigger baits, you know, super models and big XL beavers and medusas and bulldogs and all that. Something that's going to push a lot of water, slow down. Big top waters will work too. Big, really big glide baits. And then when it gets that low clear water, you know, you're just downsizing a little bit and moving baits a lot faster that way. And so it's two different bites. They're both a lot of fun. And, you know, that clear water, you can see we're fishing right now. We're fishing two feet of water and you're seeing fish come from 50 feet away. To, you know, you can see them from 50 feet away chasing your bait. We're in dirty water. You could be doing a full figure eight and you'll never see them. And then all of a sudden you got a giant eating your bait and you'll never, you know, ever see him come up. That's, that's cool stuff, Luke. So how about the fly fishing side of things? Are you doing a lot of that on the river as well for muskies? Yeah, we definitely do a handful of fly fishing trips. It's a good mix of fly clients and geared clients each year. And so that's the same thing. We're running a lot bigger flies than normal, that 12 to 15-inch flies we're running. And then topwater blockhead poppers do really well in the summertime too. And so there's just a mix of clients that I have, which is always fun, different dynamics of where people come from. And it just changes it up instead of getting in the same groove, the same grind of, you know, doing the same water, the same section or same lake where, you know, we have the option of the jet boat and then I have a Ranger 690 and that gives us the opportunity to go wherever the bite is being really good around our area, which is absolutely awesome to be able to change it up for me and not getting in the grind and being able to fish different water and being able to learn a bunch of stuff and not hit the same fish over and over again. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, we had Ben Olson on, I trying to remember how long ago it was help me out there jeff it was but probably gosh i'm guessing that had to have been what like february march brad i would say somewhere in there maybe even january but Hard to it's say. been a little bit anyway but you know he's really into the fly fishing side of things for muskies and i'm just curious i mean how many are you getting a lot of phone calls for that luke is that something that you're seeing grow yeah, so there is a lot of calls. There's a lot of guys that, you know, like this year, there I saw a spike of guys wanting, here guys that are wanting to add that quiver in their arsenal to have a fly on board. How do you fly fish? How do you do this? You know, 
teach me how to do this and then set, you know, help me set myself up to be able to put a fly rod in the boat. And that's where like, you know, in a lake on a high pressured system, you move a fish on a bucktail that's hot and you swing around and go back on them and you throw a fly at them. Well, a lot of those fish have never seen a fly before. And that, you know, you're able to present something that's totally different to that fish, you know, something totally different that ticks them. And a lot of fish just go nuts for it because they've never seen it. And a fly just moves differently. It's got a different action. It's got a different buoyancy. You know, you can strip a fly and make it move and it'll dart to the side just like glide bait would. And it can hang in there in the water for as long as you want it to sit there. So you can turn a neutral fish or an active fish that has been educated by the same bucktail on, you know, a rock pile that, you know, 80 people have fished over the last week and throw them something completely different and they'll just lose their mind over a fly sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I, and when you're fishing with a fly rod, I've done it out west. I, I used to guide a little bit on some rivers out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Fly fishing is a whole different world, and it's exciting. But uh, I don't know. If you haven't done it, I mean, you need to go try it. And I think Luke is one of those guys that can help you get it done. I'm, I'm interested in this too, Luke. I'm wondering, is there guys out there that, I mean, there, it sounds like they're coming to learn from you. But you've got to see some of these seasoned uh, fly fishermen that just kind of want to up the game or, you know, trying to do something here in the Midwest versus out West or wherever they might choose to go. Yep. That's totally correct. Cause everyone's thought, you know, when you think of fly fishing, you think of the river runs through it and nice small casting dry flies and trout rising to dry flies and eating nymphs and all that. And that's where your head goes. Well, you can catch just about anything on a fly rod from carp and catfish to pike, muskie to bass all of it and so it's just another chase of a lot of different guys you know i have guys coming from colorado montana maine tennessee you know they're coming from all over to fly fish for muskies which is amazing you know to get those clients and hear you know how maine's doing on their muskie fishery over there or colorado of their tiger fishery over there and they're looking to fish for you know the elusive muskie of what they've heard about minnesota uh, and they've just never been able to experience it. And they come out and are able to experience what Minnesota and what amazing fishery that we have here. It just blows their mind. And they're just so excited every time the fish comes into the boat. You know, if they're gear fishing or fly fishing, it's just amazing on um, the fishery we just have right here. So on a daily basis, what are you doing? I mean, are you trying to, are you going to be on the rivers? Or are you going to be on the lakes? How does that all work? And how do you fit that in? So the, I guess the first question I ask my clients is if they have an opinion on fly fishing or gear fishing, uh, fly clients just can't get as many casts in as you could with a gear rod. And it's a lot shorter. It's about half the distance of what you can cast with a gear rod and half the amount of water as you can cover with a gear rod. So in the river, those fish are condensed a little bit smaller areas than they are in a lake where, you know, are they eight? on the sweet flatter are they in eight feet or are they down on 13 feet off the break where a gear guy can cover most of that a fly guy just can't and so you know in the lakes a lot of times speed kills but in the river you can you know bring that fly across the current seam and hang it right on a current seam and that fish is going to come right out from this tiny pocket that's a size of a boat sometimes or even bigger spots like that so 
the question starts was what they want to do there. And secondly, is just where the bite's been good. You know, if the river's just off and they're in transition mode, well, we have a lot of variety of different lakes of, you know, clear Cisco Bakes lakes. And then, you know, clear, you know, perch and crappie lakes where those fish are going to be in different stages depending on the time of year, um, which I'm blessed to have in the Brainerd Beach Lake area. And so we just kind of go from there of what they're looking for out of a trip. And we just run the program and start fishing. So, you know, I had a client two weeks ago that really wanted to fish on the river for fly fishing. But it was like, well, like our one of our lakes just turned on yesterday. You know, fish push super shallow from being out in open water and fish are there. And I, you know, if you're okay, you're fishing, we should go there. Well, then light switch turned on and he hooked two really, really big fish that day, which was awesome to see. And he was just stoked. He goes, I knew I wanted to fly fish and learn, but just the experience of seeing those fish and hooking those fish and having a chance at them, you know, was enough for me. And he was super excited about that. So, you know, just having the options of what we do and what we have and someone sets that on the river, that's just fine. We're going to go out and fish the river and get after them that way. Even if there is a better bite elsewhere, we're still going to go grind it out on the river or the lake or whatever the client's looking for. But we're always chasing the hot bite in the area. So, Luke, the one thing I would say that for guys that are looking to get into river fishing, aside from hiring you and going out with your guide service, how do how do guys even decide what rivers, like how do they do the research, I guess, on what rivers even hold muskies? And then some of these rivers, like you said, these stretches are miles and miles long. Like, can you kind of give, um, I don't want to go too far in depth, but in depth enough, like, can you give them kind of a breakdown on what they're going to be looking for even when they approach a river? Absolutely. So, you know, you can find out what rivers have muskies in them from, you know, like the, your local DNR. So for us, it's the Minnesota DNR. They're going to have all the information there, talking to your local shops about it, um, where you can go. And then, you know, the Minnesota DNR has all the launches that you can find. You got to set up, you know, where you're going to put in, if you're going to do a float, whatever you're running like that. And then it's just time on the water, learning where those fish are going to be sitting in different times of year on structure on what you're looking for. And each river is going to be different. If you go over to the St. Croix or if you go to the Flambeau or the Chippewa or the Mississippi, all four of those rivers are going to fish differently depending on the time of year because they have a different structure. They have a different species of muskies in them and they have a different forage. And so each river is going to be different. So you got to keep that in mind. And, you know, our local rivers here, you're going to have, fish condensed into their area of where they, they where they wintered last year. So you got to find wintering holes, which we'll come back to for the fall stuff. But within their wintering hole, they're not going to move very far to spawn. So you need to find their spawning areas and time on the water and looking at ma- Lake Master maps and, you know, just doing your research, seeing water and low water is really good to learn rivers and keeping everything in mind. But that springtime, they're going to be in and around their wintering holes to spawn. They're not going to move very far. And then once they spawn, they need a place to recover. And usually that's right in those wintering areas. From there, they're going to be in transition to their summer stuff. And there, they're going to be following the sucker run. So those suckers are going to be going from their deep holes out into these shallow, these shallow spots or wooded spots, just shallow water compared to what's around it. Because that's where you're going to have bug hatches. That's where you're going to have crayfish. That's where, you know, your smallmouth and suckers are going to be. And so you, where you find that, like right now, we find a lot of fish in that a foot, 
through four to five feet range instead of into those deep holes where, you know, there's places in Wisconsin where the deep holes is where they're going to be because, you know, that shallow water isn't just going to hold fish right now because it's too shallow. And so we start, you know, up here we start fishing a lot of weed flats. We start fishing a lot of big rock bars and we kind of stick away from the wood a little bit because we find more fish up in those really shallow moving water, you know, in the grass, in the wood, in the rocks. And that's where the suckers are going to be this time of year. And that's going to go all the way to about that August, September time period. And then that's where the sucker migration is going to be moving to their wintering stuff. And those muskies are going to follow and those muskies that you show up a lot of times before the suckers do. And that's a cool time period because I, think if you can find those fish before they get to an area or right when they get there that's your best chances of putting a fish in the boat so you got those transition times and then when the water comes up or the water goes down they're always moving those fish are always moving they're never sitting in the same spot so if you can catch them in their transition mode and then do a new area that puts you know everything on your side it's like getting up in the middle of the night you're getting a glass of water where you can probably walk through the house with all the lights off. Well, if you just move into a new house, you have different scenarios. You have different doors you have to walk around. What are you going to stub your toe on? Well, it's the same thing for a muskie. When it sets up in a new run, it's got to get its bearings down of what's, you know, where the suckers are going to be setting up, what's right, what's wrong. And if you can capture them into those spots and get on them, and be able to catch those fish during that time, those fish become super vulnerable, I think, in those transition stages. You know, if you have continuous weather and continuous water flow for three weeks in the fall when they start moving into those deep holes, those fish start getting educated because people are just fishing the deep holes in the fall because those fish are going to migrate. Then when the water temperature gets right around that 45, 50 degree water, I start finding a lot of fish in that deeper water. And so once they're in there in that deep stuff, you know, they get really well educated because there's plenty of people sucker fishing them or casting them, fly fishing them, all that. And that's where, you know, you can fish those deep holes, but, you know, the head of the pool in front of it or downriver the tail out holds a lot of fish too. And those fish will push out of those deep holes and go and feed. And we find a lot of that in the river too, where we're targeting places where those fish are feeding and not living. You know, they're two very different waters that we are fishing there. And if we're, we really don't move a lot of fish because of it, we find eating aggressive fish. Because if a fish is in a pocket and it's, you know, you're not going to get lazy follows like you get in the lake. It's, your lake fish don't have to give out very much energy just to follow a quick bucktail lazily and then go back down to the bottom of the lake. In a river, those fish have to fight the current to come chase your bait out to the boat. So they don't want to give up all that energy. So when you get a fish to come out from the bank and moving water or even late in the fall, you have a really high chance of getting that fish to commit if you do everything right, which is really cool. But we, you know, we a lot of times don't see, you know, 10, 20 fish in a day follow up and not eat. You know, the fish that come up are ready to eat. They're in the mood. And if you do everything right, hopefully you can connect them. You know, one thing I was thinking about too, Luke, is you didn't uh, talk about your YouTube channel, and I know you got a ton of videos out there as well. Absolutely. We are running cameras always in the boat up on, you know, a little pole on the boat, and we've captured some really cool fly fishing stuff and gear fishing stuff, and we're always putting out some really awesome content out there 
a little bit of everything. We got a bunch of how-to videos coming up um, on how to read rivers, how to cast a fly rod, a bunch of bait modifications, some really big fish that we've caught this season already that we'll be putting out over the summer as well as, you know, winter show season and all that. So super excited to share a bunch of that stuff with you guys. And even if you don't fly fish, you know, there's some really cool eats on some of those fly fishing videos that are just totally different than gear eats. And, you know, uh, fish chasing down the bucktail is unbelievable. But when you have a fish come up and like totally 100% commit to a bait and it comes up like with no hesitation of it's just a normal day and it's coming up and eating a sucker, I mean, you can just see how confident that fish is coming up and eating a fly. It's just incredible. So there's a lot of cool content that we put out there from smallmouth to muskies, a little bit of ice fishing stuff on there, and we have a lot of cool stuff coming up here too. So Luke, Brad brought up your YouTube channel, but for people, you know, we're about midway through this conversation or so, What for people that are looking to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about doing that? Uh, best way is through my website is Living the Dream Guide Service as well as Instagram, Facebook, all my information is all over that stuff. You know, YouTube has links to it too. And, you know, we're always giving out updates on fishing. If it's on Instagram, YouTube, our website, all of it, you guys can get find all my rates, what we're all about, who we are, all that, more information on what we do on our website. So if you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out, email, text, call. I'm probably on the water most days. So, you know, I'll get back to you guys as soon as I can, but, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. So Luke, one thing that we didn't discuss is, you know, kind of your program or how you're rigging your river boat with electronics. I'm going to guess you got a, a trolling motor on the front, but I'm more interested probably, you know, are you using the side imaging? What do you got cooking down there? Yeah. So like you said, we have a trolling motor on the front. We have a Trova 80 pounds and then I have rigged up on the Helix, you know, mega side imaging as well as the Garmin live scope. And both of them have, you know, an area that they do better in. And I use them both almost equally. And it's pretty impressive on both of them just to be able, you know, in the fall time, we're able to side scan the deep hole to see if there's suckers or carp or anything down there that the fish will be on. And just to be able to see in those deep holes or even the shallow runs to see if there's fish down in that area. And so we do that and then we're able to spin around and then, you know, fish them like we would normally. But it gives me a lot of confidence knowing if there's bait in the area, you know, big school of suckers, there's muskies close by where they have to be at some point during that day. So we're running a lot of that, you know, mega side imaging, which is amazing. Usually we're running it only out 80 feet because we're only, you know, being able to cast so far in a river and those fish are secluded in the areas. But one super fun thing that we got on last year was, you know, running that live scope and vertical jigging in the rivers. And instead of, thrown up against the bank we're just fishing the middle of the river and it's impressive on how many fish are sitting in the middle of the river on structure that is hard to fish unless you're vertical jigging or you have something super weighted but to be able to fish the middle of the river and there's a whole tree down in the middle of the river and be able to watch your bondy bait or your tube or anything else that we're running but those are the two major ones that we're running and you know going up and down and all of a sudden this big tree shows up and you're able to run your bait in and out of those limbs, you know, lifting it up as the limb comes up. And as you get on the backside, dropping it down beneath those tree limbs once you get past it. And it's amazing, absolutely incredible on how many fish are sitting in the middle of the river on those pieces of structure where most people are just casting at the bank. And being able to fish the middle of the river, you just find dumb, big fish. 
and it's so much fun watching them on that live scope. So Luke, one of the things that I, I guess I have to ask is how are you mounting your live scope? What are you, what are you actually doing? Are you on the trolling motor or are you using something independent from that? Yeah. So I have everything set up on track set that goes from my lake boat to my river boat, being able to transfer both of them. And I have on my river boat, I have a couple different spots where I can mount that pole, depending on what clients that I have and what, you know, how we're kind of moving around in the boat and what position we are in the river and being able to put it there and be able to slide on and off different places from a pole, which it's mounted on a little mounting bracket that slides on the track. And then you have a pole that I can move around to different places. And so you're running the trolling motor. We're always having to find adjust that trolling motor. And I want the capability of keeping that mount of where the transducer is on one mount and keeping it right there. And so the trolling motor is always moving. So I can move that by hand, depending on if we just had a fish come up and it shifted off, then I can move that pole to find out, you know, did the fish go out into the deep water? Did it go to the bank? You know, you can see where you can try to find where that fish went on that. So, being able to move it depending on current flow or what we're fishing. You know, if it's big logs that Am's trying to get close to shore in a deep, you know, drop off or just fishing literally the middle of the river in a log jam down at the bottom that nobody sees or a rock pile or anything like that. So having that pole system just makes it portable that I can take and use it from boat to boat or definitely during the ice fishing season too. I'm aware of the Tech mount and he did a really good job. Jeff Miller did. And that's uh, probably the best solution for what you're talking about, definitely. Because if you're using it on the trolling motor, you're pretty limited to wherever you're steering. So if you need to move, especially in the currents that you're fishing, could be some trouble. I have to ask, though, what view are you using with your live scope? Are you using new uh, perspective view? So, yes, I am this year, and that is super, super impressive. I've used it quite a bit at night. And being able to see that view of your bucktail coming in when you're casting up on a cabbage flat, that is super impressive to see where, you know, normally you can't see your bait. Now you can see my bait coming in as well as my client's bait up front. And that view is amazing for muskies, for smallmouth, for anything. You know, seeing a smallmouth bed from 20 feet away and, okay, smallmouth coming back to the bed, you know, wiggle it, you know, move your rod, move it, move it. Oh, he's got it, set the hook. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Or, you know, wintertime using the down view, um, you can see a bluegill or crappie eat 30 feet down and you can watch its gill flare and you can set the hook before you even felt it. Each position has its own thing, but that perspective view is just unbelievable for that shallow water application as well as a little bit of open water that I've played with. But up shallow, it is like, it's unbelievable. It's borderline cheating sometimes. Yeah, it's kind of turned into a video game in a sense. Yeah, it absolutely has to be. You know, the other day we were just on Mille and we would side scan a rock pile and we saw a school just off the rock pile. So we spun around, put the live scope down and we didn't cast until we saw the school of smallmouth. And it's like, okay, 45 feet out, you know, and you point your rod, client casted, he hooked up, I grabbed the rod, cast right back on the school, boom, we had a double. And all day, we basically did that. We weren't making a cast, really, unless we knew where those fish exactly were. It's just absolutely incredible. So, Luke, the one thing that kind of, I guess, maybe there's a few different options that you can get with this uh, Panoptics, the live scope stuff from Garmin. Do you have, like, the ice pack available? Or, like, can you talk a little bit about 
the equipment that you actually purchase because I think that's one thing that guys will look at and they'll see the different options and they don't exactly know what equipment they need to buy to get this to work out for them. You want to talk a little bit about that? For sure. Uh, when I got it, there really wasn't much out or anything. So I jerry rigged a lot of my stuff and it, every boat's going to be different on how you want to rig it and where it's going to go. And so, you know, first thing is just looking at how you want to rig it. If you want it, you know, I know a lot of guys put it on their trolling motor because it's one guy fishing and they're bass fishing on a lake. Well, or walleye fishing, it's going to be great mounting it to the trolling motor sometimes. Or, you know, if you're crappie fishing or however you want to set it up, you got to figure out if you want to set it up on a pole or if you want to set it up on your trolling motor. And that's a personal preference. And I've liked it on just the pole itself instead of putting on the trolling motor because I want that, you know, if the wind's blowing in at 20 miles an hour, I want to keep us pointed straight out in the lake and still be able to move and keep on that cool fish. So I do like having the side mount and having that control of it as well as um, building like the ice fishing kit that they have, the pole. I purchased the pole that they have. If you bring it, you know, taking your live scope from your lake boat or your river boat and then bringing it onto the ice and putting it in your own pack. And I've used a cooler in the past because I put those batteries within the cooler and it keeps those batteries warm and the unit, the unit box itself warm instead of it, excuse me, instead of it getting cold, on really cold days and by doing that your batteries last a lot longer and i'm using 12 volt you know dakota lithium batteries for that during the ice season and just taking a cooler and mounting your unit right on the top of that cooler and then running cords out the side you know and at first i didn't do that and my battery life really wasn't going that long and now when i put in the cooler it's like night and day difference of how long those batteries last because it gets up to 80 degrees in there sometimes with those batteries going and that unit going inside so it's really cool to run it that way and you know each year it seems like we're tweaking it and new things come out of how we can mount stuff so it'll be interesting on where it goes but that's kind of my below down of how i rig my stuff right now and like so from from what i understand of it you basically buy the transducer is separately and then you just pretty much add, need to add a screen um is that correct as far as what i have researched on it yeah exactly so i'm running a 93 sv which you can put on your lake boat or river boats or just ice fishing and then you have that kit for that transducer and the transducer and the box and you just have to do a software update on your unit and you'll be good to go and you'll have everything you need and then it's just how you want to rig it off your boat i've seen guys use ram mounts on a painter's pole and put it off the side of their boat that way. You know, you can come up with a lot of cool ways to mount that electronics off the side of your boat or on a cooler or off your snowmobile or four-wheeler nice time. Well, Brad, it sounds to me like you got some time off right now since you're not musky fishing. It sounds like this is a perfect time for you to add this to the boat, right? <laughs> you buying, Jeff? <laughs> I can't even afford one for myself. <laughs> Yeah, that that is one of the problems with that. I mean, the price point's not cheap on that whole setup. Well, in the in the research that I've done, you're in. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're in fifteen hundred dollars for the transducer in the black box without a screen. Is that correct? Yep, that sounds about right. That's correct. And then it looks like you probably need to put another at least a thousand dollars into a screen. I'm assuming. I would say you're probably 
looking at a nine inch screen was where you'd want to go. I'm, I'm guessing. Is that anybody have any information, any input on that? Is that a nine inch screen? Is that sufficient, Luke? Yeah, a nine inch screen does well. And I've seen a couple bigger ones of the 10 and 12 inch ones. And those, I mean, for looking a hundred feet off to the left or right, you know, looking for schools of bait fish or ice fishing, you know, that bigger screen is always nice. You know, it's just whatever you can afford to get the unit. Um, bigger is always better just for being able to see stuff and trying to pick out little details of what's going on out there. But the nine inch that I've had does really well. I'm super happy with it. And it's put a lot of fish in the boat just because of that unit. And I've been super, super impressed with it. So then just breaking it down, I'm guessing you go with that, the transducer in the box, you add your screen and then you just need to figure out a way to mount the transducer. That's pretty much the way I I've researched all this. Is that also correct? Yep, absolutely. So like on my ram mount on my boat, I took a metal plate and I mounted it behind the unit itself. And then you just run a power cord to it. So you have everything in that one unit right there. So you don't have to mount it to a boat and then unmount it for ice season. You just take off the couple bolts that it's all mounted to on the ram mount and move it to a cooler. Or you can mount that ram mount right on the cooler. I've also done that as well. But that black box then isn't in the cooler to stay warm and so that's where i like putting everything in the cooler and just taking it apart see brad doesn't seem so difficult i mean we got it broken down here pretty easily for you it sounds like you'll definitely have enough time to get this taken care of i'll just <laughs> uh i'll have to just try to order a few extra cowgirls on my next order to ha- handle this one uh, a, few, a few thousand extra Jeff. <laughs> well let's not go that far <laughs> but i mean i'll do i'll do my part to try to help you all in this process i'll try to help finance it through cowgirls if, if need be so i'm just trying to help you guys out <laughs> well it sounds like you're gonna need a jet boat so i don't know <laughs> which, which direction are you going jeff well i'm gonna just forego the panoptics for now and buy the jet boat instead i guess so that means <laughs> i'm going to have to buy those extra cowgirls and then sell them to try to gain the profit in order to do this see it's all going to get done through cowgirls one way or another good point <laughs> I like I like your plan. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, in this whole conversation, Luke started talking about Malax, and I think we've kind of maybe pigeonholed him a little bit in that he's just a river guy, and that isn't the that isn't even close to the truth. So, why don't we talk a little bit about lakes? Absolutely. So, you know, from everything you know, smallmouth fishing on Malax or musky fishing on Malax, we do. That springtime early season will be out there as well as that late November, late November program, a little bit in October too, but we have great bites on our local lakes in October. So that last little bit of the season we spend out on Mille Lacs, um, and the smallmouth fishery out there is unbelievable on Mille Lacs right now. It's so much fun to be out there as well as all the other little hidden gems the Brainerd and Leech Lake area has to be on. Um, you know, we are one of the most special fish actually just recently, I just texted Brad a photo of this fish over the weekend. It was, um, we were up on Leech Lake and we got a 44 and a half inch tiger muskie up there. And it's one of the most beautiful, unbelievable fish that I've ever seen. The blues and the purples on it were unbelievable. And it was caught on, you know, a double 10, uh, show color that Brad did a few years ago. And my client pulled it out of the box and I'm like, that's what you want to throw today? That's the ugliest looking thing in the world. And I was giving him, you know, a hard time because he always seems to find the most bright colored baits and loves throwing that type of thing. So I was giving him a funny hard time about it and 
20 minutes later, here comes this fish nipping at it and it crushed it 10 feet out. And we we're all in awe when it hit the, you know, hit the bag of like, Oh my gosh, is this that big of a tiger? Like the girth on it is unbelievable. It was up in shallow cabbage and it was just an awesome fish, you know? So that was really cool to see. And, you know, all of our other little lakes that have been producing all season, they're always a fun, you know, way to do it. So if it's not big water, it's, you know, the 2000 acre lakes that are pumping out some really nice fish. So it's a great, great opportunity that we have in the Brainerd and Beach Lake area of, you know, a variety of different water fish. For sure, Luke. I need to get the name of the client so we can post that pic if you don't mind. Absolutely. We can definitely do that. I'll get that to you, you know, later tomorrow. It, it was a beautiful, beautiful fish. I showed it to Carrie today and I'm like, we got to get this thing posted out there on a double cowgirl fish. Let's do it, you know? Yep, absolutely. No, it was a beautiful fish. I It was really cool. I don't know if I'll see a tiger that big out of the, you know, a lake that doesn't or isn't known for tigers, you know, because that's a natural tiger that came out of there. So we'll see if we can ever top that one, but it's a beautiful fish. Hands down. So are you spending a ton of time on a bunch of those smaller lakes over there as well, Luke? Yeah, we are. And that's what's cool of, you know, if a lake is in that weird transition from their spawning mode to, and, you know, the open water period where fish are kind of spread out, we have different lakes that are farther ahead or, you know, not far enough. And so that gives a fun variety of, you know, getting that post-spawn bite and an open water bite. And then, you know, once they move back into the shallows of, you know, we have a bunch of lakes that end up coming shallower, you know, before the 4th of July. It seems like it's two weeks before, you know, the 4th of July where those Cisco lakes you know, usually push up a little more shallow. We get this heat wave and they're up shallow and moved out of open water a little bit. And, you know, that, those lakes are always fun because open water game is fun. Um, but I do have a lot of clients that love burning bucktails and top waters and, you know, doing that type of program instead of throwing big, you know, medusas or beavers or pounders or anything like that. So, you know, depending on what the client wants and what he's looking for or, you know, open water trolling. If I have an older client, we'll do a lot of trolling, you know, in June, like you do, Brad. And, you know, it, the area just gives us some awesome variety of lakes of, you know, are you looking to catch a couple fish in a day and be happy with, you know, some low 40s, upper 40s? Or are you looking for the queen out on Mille or a really big 52, 53-inch fish out of one of these smaller lakes that produce really big fish. So it's just an awesome area. I absolutely love it up here. Yeah, you definitely have a bunch of bodies of water with muskies. So that's a cool thing. I know there's a lot of good smally bodies of water up there as well. So living the dream guide service isn't only you, right, Lou? I mean, you've got you've got kind of a crew behind you as well. Absolutely. Each season, if it's, you know, summer or winter season, I got three, four guys usually running, you know, double trips with me or taking my overflow and all that. And I have a great core group of guys, depending on if I'm already booked up, if you're going to Mille Lacs, or if you want to do the river or fly fishing or sucker fishing or trolling over in the Detroit Lakes area, Leech Lake area. I got an awesome group of guys that I use if I'm already booked up, or if you're looking for a corporate group of you know, running 10 guys, we have all that to accommodate, which is so much fun to get those big group trips or, you know, have four or five guys, you know, four or five different guys out in the day and everyone's on a big group chat and, you know, checking in on where fish are moving 
or how people are doing, what's the hot date, what people are seeing. And it's just an awesome network that we've built, you know, kind of around the business and with, you know, everyone in the local area of bouncing ideas off each other and reports and all that. So it's a really cool group of guys that I have right now. And, you know, we're just going to keep growing as we keep getting bigger and bigger and, you know, get as many people on the water and show people a great time out on the water and try to make some memories for people. It really boils down to, I mean, for sure you want to, it's about the experience. It's, it's great to get a catch, but sometimes it's just about the experience or maybe learning a new body of water or new techniques, something that you could take home with you. Absolutely. You know, everything from guys, bachelor parties, you know, a bunch of guys out having a good time to, you know, a father daughter coming out that's experienced smallmouth fishing for the first time. And it's, it's so much fun to be able to watch kids light up when they're catching a bunch of fish or, catches you know their first big muskie or anything like that it's so much fun to teach those kids as well as just teaching someone a whole new tactic of open water fishing or burning bucktails or fly fishing or anything like that it's so much fun to watch clients you know it clicks once they get it and they see a fish or move a fish or catch a fish and they're just so excited about it and it's like it clicks and now they can take that and go home and apply it or just have a great memory with their father and daughter or father and son or grandpa or great grandson, you know, all of the above. It's just so much fun to see the family dyna- um, dynamic of everything, as well as, you know, just buddies coming out and having a good time. So, Luke, you were talking about getting people out on the water, and I was just curious. I know I've talked to a lot of other, you know, guide friends of mine, and they've seen an increase in bookings this season. I'm assuming it's because of the Canadian border being closed. Is that something that you're experiencing over there, too? Yeah. Big time. I was a little bit worried with everything shut down at the beginning of the season and I was having to cancel some trips and we got opened back up and it was like my phone rang off the hooks and I was so blessed and grateful that that happened to be able to keep doing what I'm doing and what I love. And then all of a sudden, like there's this wave of, you know, Canadian border shut down, can't go to Canada. And I feel super bad for all the guys up there trying to make a living up on Lake the Woods or farther into Canada and all that. Like, it's, it's a tough situation we're all in, but I, you know, guys are looking to go elsewhere on where they want to go. And I know a lot of guide buddies have booked guys going up that were supposed to be going to Canada. And I've had a lot of those calls too, and had a lot of those guys. And it's amazing on how those people leave from the trip. And they're like, I can't believe that fishing is this good in this area. So close to home, you know, we've been going to Canada for years and you know, this is, just as good and sometimes better depending on what we're doing or the day and all that. And it's just great to see those clients, you know, realize that there's great sources of water and great fisheries super close to home compared to always running to Canada, even though Canada is one of the coolest places out there to be able to fish and get away. But there's awesome resources right in our backyard too. Yeah, I agree. I, like you said, I feel bad for all those people up in Canada that are, that are struggling because of the shutdown but I was, I'm, I'm thankful to hear that guys are still getting out, fish, doing, you know, getting out and fishing and taking their trips and, and still enjoying themselves and, you know, and supporting, you know, a lot of different guides here too. And I know that, you know, Brad, Brad's told me that they're plenty busy in the shop and I know we've been plenty busy in the shop. So it's very clear that guys are still getting out and going fishing and, you know, I'm, I'm much like you, I feel super thankful because when this all started to go down, I was a little bit concerned. Brad knows I was concerned. So it's just, uh, it's good to see everybody still getting out and going fishing, enjoying themselves and, and trying to, you know, 
trying to still, I would say, live life as normal as they can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think everyone was in the same boat of the uncertainty of what was about to come when everything hits. But now that we're working through the progress of everything, people are, you know, relaxing a little bit. And, you know, I love getting the comments halfway through the day where it doesn't feel like everything's happening of what's going on. Like this, like this little time feels like normal and it feels so good just to be out on the water in the middle of nowhere, fishing lakes or fishing rivers and just getting away just for a day and trying to get back to what normal could be or what you thought normal was. And just being able to get out of the city and get out of the news and get out of everything and just be able to relax and enjoy the day on the water. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, Luke, so we, we kind of talked about a little bit of everything, but except for one thing. I need to know where you stand on bluegills. Are you with me or are you with Jeff? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, during the summertime, I want nothing to do with them. During the wintertime, they are so much fun to fish, especially fishing them open water out in the basin. And I'm on both sides, I guess. I'm not taking a side on that one. I'm going to stay neutral of being with both sides, but it's, you know, it's always fun to go out in the wintertime and get a pile of crappies and be able to cook those up for dinner. But, you know, during the summertime, there's a lot more fun, a lot more fun fish to catch, excuse me, a lot more fish that I'd rather chase than bluegills and crappies like muskies in the summertime. So I'm going to stay neutral still. I was going to say, he went super politically correct <laughs> yeah, on that one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Well, That's all good. After this past weekend, I have a feeling Carrie's going to be posting some bluegill pics just to kind of rub oh. it in there. Well, we know the listeners like her when she posts bluegill pics. They like to give me a hard time about bluegills, and they're clearly on Carrie's side, but that doesn't surprise me. She's the only one of us with a fan club, so, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I love the bump board, though. That is awesome. You need to put that to use. Someday. Well, it, it, it came in handy over the weekend, and I, I don't know if Jeff did. Did it, Jeff? No, there was no reason for me to bump board anything that I caught this past weekend. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, nope, not at all. Anyways, this one's going off the rails. So with that being said, Luke... For people that listen to this podcast, can you tell us one more time what the best way to get in touch with you is? Yep. Best way to get a hold of me, guys, is livingthedreamguideservice.com, my website there. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Living the Dream Guide Service again, as well as our YouTube channel. I'd appreciate if anyone would want to follow. If you like looking at big fish photos, tips and tricks, uh, we give it all out on all the social media platforms. So, if you guys ever have any questions about anything I talked about here or anything that, you know, you have questions on for fly fishing, gear fishing, lake fishing, or setting up a trip for a day or setting up a big corporate event, we can make just about anything happen. And I'd love to have you guys out and make some memories and we'll go from there and try to catch some big fish. So Luke, we just want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to come out and talk muskies with us for about an hour. Certainly, if our schedules work out again, we could potentially have you on as another guest in the future. And for anybody that has specific questions they want us to ask guides, you can shoot us emails or messages on social media. And we 
We're not going to necessarily answer them then, but we'll certainly, I make a database of a lot of different stuff that we need to talk about, certain guides that people are looking for, and we'll certainly try to swing back and hit those topics when we when we either revisit you know, the same guest or if we visit a guest that's doing similar stuff to what Luke would be. If you want to know more about rivers and you have certain spe- specific questions on rivers, certainly shoot us a, a message and we can try to get those answered on a future podcast. But until then, unless Brad and Carrie have anything else to add, again, Luke, you know, we can't thank you enough for coming out and taking some time with us and hope you have a great summer on the water. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Keep doing what you guys are doing. I'm putting out awesome content. I listen every week and it's always great to see what you guys come out with and, you know, who you guys have on and how many bluegills you caught the last weekend. So thank you guys so much for what you do. (laughs) Thank you, Luke. Thanks again. Much appreciated. Have a good night, Luke.